It's uh, great to be here together looking at God's Word, isn't it? Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Pete Stacey, as I mentioned before, and um, let me tell you one of my own Good Samaritan stories. It was year eight, I was around at my friend's place preparing for a disco, the theme was horror. So we were ripping up an old double bed sheet into long strips. Uh, I was going to be wrapped up like a mummy. Think Egypt, not a lady pushing a pram. Um, We ripped these uh, sheets into long bandages and I rode home carrying them in a nice Woolies plastic bag. On the way down the big hill, turned the corner past the private girls' school and that bag swung into the front wheel. Next thing I remember, I was in someone's car being driven home. They'd seen me in the gutter, pulled over apparently, used their own towel for my bloodied face, put me in their car. Now that's kind of a modern day donkey, isn't it? And they'd taken me home. I must have made a mess, like, I, really, I was an absolute mess. Um, if you look closely, this eye is higher than the other eye because this creek cheekbone was cracked. It was, like, all pushed up. And, um, and then the next thing I remember after that, I was actually in hospital. Um, no idea who these people were. They just stopped and helped this random kid who was, you know, unconscious in the gutter. Uh, good Samaritans. Perhaps you've got a similar story of a time you were helped by some random stranger. Uh, Perhaps you were the one helping someone else out. You've been that good Samaritan. Um, If you think of our four church purpose statements, uh, which of course they're they're all interconnected, aren't they? But this parable focuses particularly on the fourth one, supporting others. As we ponder this very familiar yet easily misunderstood parable, let's ask God for his help. Father God, as we explore what Jesus taught in this parable, please help us to understand it and help us to take it on board and put it into practice in our daily lives. For we know that this will bring glory to you and great benefit to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please do keep your Bibles open. We'll just be working through that passage. This section uh, of Luke's Gospel includes lots of Jesus' teaching in different ways as he moves from Galilee in chapter 9 to Jerusalem in chapter 19. And we know that Jesus' teaching produced a wide range of responses. Uh, And so inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke has recorded this encounter in his Gospel For the enduring benefit of God's people through the ages, including us here today. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we're intimidated by really, really smart people like this expert in the law. But the word test here isn't necessarily nasty or evil. It doesn't mean he's being arrogant or cunning. We sometimes read too much into it. He may have, in fact, been a sincere seeker with a sincere question about an issue that he deeply cared about as a religious leader. Well, he's a legal expert, and he probably knew the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. He probably knew them off by heart. There's a challenge for us today. Um, 
And he had a, would have had a really good knowledge of all of the Old Testament, as well as the entire teaching of the rabbis. And his question, let's face it, it's a cracker, isn't it? It's a really good question. I mean, perhaps the most important question you could ever ask God if you had the chance. Nothing's more important. If eternity was a really long stretch of beach, then our lifetime now is like one grain of sand. This is a really good question. And he had the chance to ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As Jesus interacts with various people, he has a wonderful way of illuminating what's going on in their hearts. So as we see this man's response and and Jesus' interaction with him, let's also take notice of our own response What does Jesus' parable reveal in our hearts as we look through it? Well, Jesus responds by inviting the expert to share some of his knowledge. Verse 26, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And the expert absolutely nails it. He combines a verse from Deuteronomy and a verse from Leviticus 19 and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and Love your neighbour as yourself. That's almost word for word how Jesus answered the same question in a completely different setting in Mark chapter 12. He's absolutely nailed it. A plus, buddy. Well done. Or as Jesus puts it in verse 28, you have answered correctly. And then he adds, do this and you will live. In other words... You know the right thing to do. Now do it. Friends, we rob ourselves of so much joy and peace when we know the right thing to do but fail to do it. We bring so much unnecessary grief and pain and frustration into our lives when we know the right thing to do But we fail to do it. So often our problems in life are not caused by a lack of knowledge, but by a lack of obedience. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Love God. Love people. Now Jesus is not saying... We can earn eternal life by our own effort, striving to just love God enough and just love people enough. And I think I'm in, you know. I'll explain this more at the end. None of us can perfectly obey. So there's a problem there we need to deal with, need to look at. But he also isn't minimizing or watering down what God has commanded, clearly in the Old Testament, to love God with a, a whole being and to love our neighbor. As ourselves. As we think about that second part, it doesn't mean that we have to learn to love ourselves before we start loving other people. Um, Truly loving God with all of our heart, uh, we, we will actually learn to love ourselves and others because we'll learn to see all people the way God sees them. Precious human beings created by Him, created for Him, loved by Him. 
They were all stained by sin. All people bear his image, whether they're a believer or not. All people bear his image and have God-given dignity and purpose. When we learn to love God, we learn to see ourselves like that. And we learn to see other people like that. And when we love God with our whole being, we'll develop a, a, a gracious, compassionate and sacrificial love for other people that puts their needs and interests above our own. That's life. The man is clearly uncomfortable at this point. Verse 29. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked, And who is my neighbour? It seems staggering to me that he focuses on the second commandment, as though he had no problem with the first. Like, seriously? Who among us can honestly say we perfectly love God with our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind? Never a sinful thought or a careless word or a godless action? None of us come close to that kind of perfection. But he goes straight to the second bit. (laughs) Perhaps he thought he could love God well and and, and then redefine neighbours as just friends and family who are really nice people. You know, the ones who are kind of nice to like and love. After all, one of the Jewish rabbis had taught, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. It's quoted in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus corrected it there, explaining that love for God and love for people are inseparable. I love how John puts it in his first letter. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we've had, we have from him, that, we who, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And so then to illustrate his, his point, Jesus, for the benefit of the law expert and the benefit of the crowds listening and recorded here for our benefit, Jesus told this famous parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the Jericho road was infamous for this kind of thing, crime and robbery. So Jesus' audience wouldn't have been surprised at all by what happened to this man. They're probably just thinking, what what an idiot to travel alone. I mean, on that road. Um, But the focus is actually not on the man, but on the contrasting responses of the next three travellers. A priest in verse 31, a Levite in verse 32, and then a Samaritan in verse 33 and following. Jesus makes makes it clear that all three see the beaten man. That's there in the text. It's what they do next that matters. The first two are respectable religious leaders. Very familiar stereotypes. Remember my bike stack story? Uh, Imagine if... You know, the first person to come along was uh, a local church minister. Saw me there and then kind of accelerated past, you know. And then round the corner comes uh, you know, some Bible study leader walking his dog. And, whoa, whoa, what's that? Oh, quick U-turn and goes the other way. It's despicable behaviour, isn't it? Jesus wants us to feel it like that. Notice the repeated phrase in verses 31, 32. They passed by on the other side, putting as much distance as they can between themselves 
and the problem. As the crowds listened, I imagine many people were surprised that Jesus portrayed these religious leaders in such a bad light. Jesus is deliberately pushing people's buttons here, provoking a response. Perhaps some felt defensive at that point. And maybe others with a little uh, honest self-reflection may have been unsettled in their conscience as they recalled times they had failed to care for someone in need. Most of us, we're really quick to excuse our own behaviour, but we're often harsh on others, aren't we? Imagine all the excuses that the priest and the Levite could have come up with. There's a dangerous road. I can't stop here. I won't be able to fulfil my duties at the temple if I'm all covered in blood. He might be a decoy for an ambush. Serving the Lord is more important than helping this fool. Got himself into trouble. He probably deserved it anyway. It's too much for one person. Look, ah, I don't know what to do. Well, he never asked for help. Or this familiar one that you've probably never said yourself, but it soothes the conscience so easily. I'll pray for him. I can still remember a youth leader when I was a kid saying, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. I remember that like 35 years later. There you go. Um, Friends, rather than make excuses and be really harsh on ourselves or on others, let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Let's admit that we fall so far short of God's perfect standard. And ask him to forgive us, clean our hearts and strengthen us to honour him next time we're in a situation like that. We don't know what the priest and the Levite were thinking. All we know is they did nothing to help. And then comes the shocking part of the story. Verse 33. But a Samaritan... As he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Jews despised Samaritans. They considered them to be racial and religious half-breeds, worse than Gentiles. Given this cultural background, it would have been completely understandable for the Samaritan to see a Jewish man and pass by on the other side of the road. But instead, verse 34... He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's the equivalent, you know, like first aid kit, whip it out of the car and, you know, helping and perhaps a mild anaesthetic. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Think about it. He's now got to walk. I don't know how much further he had to go, but, you know, it's a parable. But he's now got to not be on the donkey. He's walking, probably supporting the the half-conscious bloke on the donkey, Really putting himself out. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. He's just ditched all of his plans for the evening and he's making sure the victim is safe and settled. And then the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra you may have. Two denarii would have been enough for about two weeks recovery. It's extravagant generosity. To a stranger in need, isn't it? Now, before we get too caught up in the details of the story, we need to remember that Jesus is making a point. He's responding to a question, who is my neighbour? 
But instead of stating the answer, Jesus replies so cleverly with a question. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? It's so clever, isn't it? Having told the parable, he now gets the expert in the law to answer his own question. But did you notice the subtle shift that Jesus has introduced? He's moved the focus. Rather than asking, who is my neighbour? Jesus' question is, who was a neighbour? The answer then guides the application. Instead of asking ourselves, who is my neighbour? And only loving the people who fit our narrow criteria... We should be asking, how can I be a neighbour to whoever is around me without making judgment? The expert in the law would have desperately wanted to change the details of Jesus' story by casting the priest or the Levite as the good example of a neighbour. Culturally, they were the neighbours because of their occupation. But in the parable, they completely fail to act like one. When he answers the question, I mean, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. (laughs) The one who had mercy on him. It's all he can say. Mercy. Isn't that the very heart of it? Treating others according to their needs, not according to their merit. Jesus calls us to care for those in need, regardless of our relationship to them. They might be our best friend. They might be our worst enemy. The Samaritan had every reason not to help, and so might we. But Jesus doesn't open the door to excuses. It's all about mercy. It's all about mercy. Who would you find hardest to help? Perhaps the atheist who attacks you at school or at work. Maybe the derelict who smells and begs. The vandal who just ruins stuff. Or the politician who is against everything you value. Perhaps it's a little closer to home, the brother or sister, the the parent or the, the child who just frustrates you no end. If we saw them in need, would we help? Or just sneer and walk on by on the other side? Would we show mercy? The law expert got the answer spot on. And Jesus' conclusion is brief and to the point. Go and do likewise. Friends, what does this mean for us? Jesus is not saying that if we do a really good deed when we have the opportunity, that's enough to secure our place in eternal life. In fact, if you look at the parable, the the parable addresses the question, who is my neighbour? But it doesn't answer the man's opening question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In fact, the rest of Jesus' ministry does that. His life, his death, his glorious resurrection. See, as we try to obey the great commandments of loving God and loving people, 
we quickly realise how incredibly hard that is and how often we fail. We cannot earn our way to eternal life. And we certainly don't deserve it. Instead, as God calls us to obey those commands, he also beckons us, invites us to come to him for mercy. And that mercy is found in Jesus. Our sin has broken our relationship with the God who's given us life. We don't deserve life, not now, not for eternity. We're like the man on the the roadside, helpless and hopeless. But Jesus saw us. And instead of passing by on the other side, he came and rescued us at the staggering cost of his life. He paid for our sin by his death on the cross. And so when we put our trust in Jesus and receive God's mercy, receive God's forgiveness, his love transforms our hearts. We're able to love him and to love other people's more, to be a better neighbor. In this parable, Jesus doesn't call us to do something he isn't prepared to do. He's already done it. And the most extraordinary example. So friends, let's Receive God's offer of mercy. Receive eternal life by turning to Jesus. And then let's look to him for strength to obey his words. Go and do likewise. Loving God and loving our neighbor, whoever is around us. Being the good neighbor to everyone around us. Amen.